Testing one, two, three. If you're tuning in for Pub Theology Live, we'll get rolling in a few moments. We are adding our third host. I don't think we're doing, I don't think we're doing jack shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Ooh. we need an IT guy. Ooh, who is our IT guy? I don't know. Welcome to episode 25 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint or other beverage. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar. Let's try that again. (laughs) Kind of got a little bit tongue-tied there. It's been a day. I got to tell you about my day later. Craft Beer Cellar. Is a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education with 25 locations in 11 states across the country. Visit Craft Beer Cellar, that's C-E-L-L-A-R dot com for a location near you and you can win some free Craft Beer Cellar gift cards from us to go shopping. All you got to do is join in in our conversation. Follow us on Twitter at Pub Theology using the hashtag PT Live to comment or comment on our Facebook page. And at the end of the month, we'll draw a witty, totally subjectively witty comment. Uh, be the winner uh, because we started in like the middle of August. Witty or wise? Witty or wise? Because um, we started in the middle of August, we didn't have a winner for last month, so we're gonna draw two at the end of this month. Um, you don't have to watch us live. You can listen and comment at any time. But if you do want to watch and see all the hijinks, especially the pre-show and post-show hijinks and banter, like the almost 20 minutes we and counting, Ben is still trying to get Tina on this call Woo. right now. Uh, you can you can watch us on, uh, on YouTube. But otherwise, listen to um, a, a slightly more edited and on-point audio on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any of your favorite uh, pod catchers. That was a nice recovery by you after some tongue-tiedness. I don't know what happened, man. It was like, uh, you know, the clearing of the throat decided to wait till after I started speaking. It happens. It happens. Well, tonight we talk anxiety-based religion. Does your faith make you more peaceful or more anxious? And why do you think that might be so? Also, what can we say about God? Are there even words we can use? Well, we'll use some words, maybe the best words, to try to say something. We'll also discuss nationalism and a pastor in Alabama who said that if you don't stand for the national anthem, you should be shot. Oh, Lord, this joker. <laughs> Sorry. I took my hand. Firing. I took my hand how I really feel. <laughs> there was a the suspense. Well, my name is Brian Burkoff. I am a pastor and writer in uh, Holland, Michigan. I'm the author of the book Pub Theology, and I am tonight drinking a an Oval Beach uh, Blonde Ale from Saugatuck Brewing, and it is uh, quite nice. I see done. 
We get into the end of summer, man. Those summer ales. I don't know. Summer ales. You got the beach view there. What do you got tonight? And welcome, Ogan. Um, I am Reverend Ogan Holder. Um, my community is called Union the River here in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And tonight I am drinking, also going with probably the last of my summer stash, um, and also a local number. This is from Portland, Maine. Uh, Kenny Bunkport Brewing Company Blueberry Ale. So going. Ooh. Had a nice warm day today. Put me in a fruity bear mood, but then all of a sudden. Well done. Does it get chillier? The nights well getting chilly where you are. They are. It's getting quite nice for sleeping. Uh, yeah, we we we're in that we're in that warm warm day chilly night phase. Exactly. Beautiful days right now and cool sleeping weather, which is perfect. I should mention also that uh, I'm pastor of a new community in the Holland area called Holland United Church of Christ or Holland UCC. So if you're in West Michigan looking for a welcoming and progressive faith community, check us out. Yeah, he's and we a pretty, are a, he's a pretty good pastor. I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for him. <laughs> You'll watch me. I appreciate that. And we are a host short at the moment uh, due to technical difficulties. And we're two days uh, later than we normally are with the podcast. So maybe there's uh, some karma happening. Uh, but in any case, we are here and happy to be uh, chatting with all of you. It's a boys' night. Boys' night. There you go. So uh, our, our opening question you can laugh. <laughs> What is your favorite kind of nut? Uh, peanuts. I'm all about the peanuts, man. Go Love me some peanuts. Followed followed shortly by by cashews. Okay. Uh, peanuts and and I old school get get the get the roasted unsalted nuts in the shell and just peel those suckers oh, open. Those are good. Eat them. Eat them slowly because if I just buy a can or uh, you know a bottle of already shelled ready to go nuts. I just inhale them all, and then, it, it, yeah, I eat them too fast. So, and they work for it. Peanuts, peanuts are loaded in the good kind of unsaturated fats. I think that um, are good for you. Very underrated nut. There we go. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah, and peanuts in the shell are perfect as we're heading into October. We're not there yet, but playoff baseball, World Series. It's like you're at the ball game. Pretty much. Another American so, game that I'm not that crazy about. Oh, we got some work to do, friend. No, we don't. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm content. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make right. work when it's not needed. So I, you know, I would probably say if you went by volume of what I eat, probably peanuts would be at the top. But I do love uh some oven roasted almonds or smoked almonds. Those are are good also good for your heart is that so oh yeah there's a study that shows that men who eat like a just a handful of almonds every day um it reduces your risk of heart disease boom so there you who go knew? who knew um so you know what's also good with peanuts this time of year what's that candy corn candy corn what exactly is candy corn? I think that's a food that needs to be banned. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, neither, it's neither really candy nor corn. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I cannot vouch for its health uh, benefits or lack thereof, but a handful of candy corn and peanuts, and you will be a happy person. All right. Uh, I'm just going to say 
hearing, hearing from Tina, and she is still uh, locked out here. Don't know, don't know what to do. So I don't know that she will be joining us this evening. All right, all right. Well, we'll hope that maybe she'll tune in, and uh, we'll be back. <laughs> there you go. Back and ready to go next next week. So, so our initial question is. Uh, does your faith make you more peaceful or more anxious? And I think I know how you're going to answer that. So then I might tweak that a little to say, have you been in a church or religious setting that produces anxiety? Or have you had that experience? So why do you think you know I'm going to answer that? What did you think I was going to say? I'm just, I'm just, let's play this out a little bit. What did you think I was going to say? You were going to say my faith makes me more peaceful. Well, I'm going to say it does both. Okay. All right. Go on. So so it 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 if I'm if I'm doing it right, yes, it'll make me more peaceful in that it, it'll bring a sense of I think reassurance, groundedness, centeredness. Um but I think it also makes me more anxious when um my natural innate response wants to take me somewhere else and then I'm like I know because of my faith, I think I know better than to respond this way. And then I create this like inner conflict and anxiety within me of here's what I'm feeling, but I think I should be responding differently because of what I know I believe. That makes sense. I think so. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. No, I get, I get that. I get that. And I think there's also another factor when you are, uh, as we are both are, um, clergy by profession, then you do a certain amount of helping others experience or grow or learn in their faith. And so then there's just the natural anxieties that happen when you're doing a job or when you're speaking in front of people. Um, so that's just sort of a product of, um, being in ministry, I think, which, you know, is that inherent to the faith itself? Well, it's sort of a byproduct of the role that you're playing in that tradition. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it does. And, and how my faith causes me also anxieties when I have a crisis of faith and not a crisis that makes me question the whole thing. But, um, so I think sometimes as we, uh, develop and evolve our faith like it happens in stages so like something happens in our life and it triggers us and we realize within our own faith oh maybe there's an aspect i don't believe as much anymore because now i have a deeper understanding and we we deepen our understanding but sometimes it causes us to grieve what we used to believe before does that does that make sense so so yeah mm -hmm. yeah so so as we as we evolve you know, um, like on this show, we've had many conversations about our understanding of God and my understanding of God has evolved over the years. I still think I fall under the Christian umbrella, but my understanding of God has evolved. And with every evolution, there is, it's, there's tension, there's some anxiety. So it's, it's a, uh, the answer is a little more complex than, yeah. Yeah, I agree, and that's very honest. And I think uh, probably my experience is very similar. Uh, I think initially for me, uh, my experience of the Christian faith and sort of um, 
earlier experiences of church geared more. All right, now we now we're having a, a bandwidth problems with Brian. This is a, I think this is one of these nights where <laughs> I think I think the I, th- I think the universe is telling us maybe we didn't need a show tonight. Now we're down to one, and I don't think. I don't think it's going to be much of a discussion with just me, even though I can talk to myself probably all evening. Are you back? Check one, check two. Let's center yourself, first of all, because you're like, your camera's not centered. You're not centered. Center. Center yourself, man. I thought you meant center yourself, like take a deep breath. and <laughs> that, that too. Um, all right. So as I was saying before I was rudely interrupted by who knows what, the internet's uh, the uh, the faith that I think I, I grew up in and and experienced uh, going to church and so forth. I think in a lot of ways lent itself toward producing anxiety um, because of a view of God that was wrathful, um, human sin and uh, human depravity, and so I think there was always this sort of I'm failing terribly and God is terribly displeased with me and this is no good. Uh, and I think as I've traveled further on my journey, I have a much deeper sense that I am accepted by God regardless. There's no arriving. There's no proving. There's no believing the right things. There's no doing the right things. I am just accepted because I exist as a being uh, created in the divine image. The unconditional love is actually unconditional. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I think there was talk of that in what I grew up in, but it seemed buried beneath a lot of the other theologies and doctrines that were more emphasized. Well, yeah, the message is the love is unconditional, but there's still consequences for your actions. Yes, yes. And I mean, I think that's still true, but... Um, well, it's a very parental, it was a very, at least my, my growing up, it was a very parental relationship. You know, yeah. so when I think of myself as a parent, and, you know, when I was a child, I, you know, I unconditionally love my child, but she's not just going to do whatever she wants. And, you know, that kind of... Yes. Deep. So I kind of felt that with God, except that the punishment was awfully dire. You know burning in the lake of fire for all eternity seemed very extreme as <laughs> the only punishment option. <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime you got hell in the picture, there's bound to be just a tad bit of anxiety. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so if, if you're at all in any church tradition that emphasizes uh, frequently or even infrequently hell uh, as the likely outcome for most of the human race and maybe you, then some anxiety uh, can't help it. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't ever um, anymore sub, uh, tell people what they should and shouldn't believe, and what faith community they shouldn't or shouldn't belong to, or you know what belief system they should adhere to. But if that's what you're hearing, you might want to rethink. Just, just putting that out there. Find, find, find some peace. <laughs> 
<laughs> just a gentle suggestion. Just a gentle suggestion. Um, but I think the I think the issue is, and I know the anxiety that I had was, what if I'm wrong? What what if leaving the system that I've been a part of for so long is is wrong? You know, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's a legitimate fear and cause of anxiety, even if a person's not comfortable in the faith that they're in. And in fact, that was when I was yep. in seminary to be a uni minister. That was my crisis of faith. Like in terms of, you know, I went into seminary having this idea that that unity is it. Unity is understanding and, and theological approach is the right one. And, yeah. you know, and about three quarter way through, it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's, there is no right one. And, and this is really not encapsulating it. And yeah. And can I, can I, can I legitimately be a unity minister and be at peace with that? Knowing that, you know, I'm getting in front of people every Sunday, some of them believing that this is it the unity is right and everything else is wrong. I'm like, that's no different than when I was, you know, in my evangelical Christianity setting. So yep. yeah, come yep. to terms with that. Yeah, that that's good. That's good. Um, yeah. Anytime we assume we have, we are the only ones who believe or think the right way on this. Eh, it's time to pause, time to pause. But I hear you also about the, uh, going through shifts in what you're believing. And I've found that for a number of people, even probably myself at certain points, uh, the idea of doing what we're doing here, doing pub theology or being in any kind of interfaith can lead to it because you're hearing views different from what you believe. You're hearing from different traditions. You're hearing from uh, Methodists, Baptists, Catholic, atheists, Buddhists, uh, Jewish people. And it's like, wait, that's not how I understand it, and I'm not sure what to do with that. Yeah, I uh, as I like to say, we're all right and we're all wrong. There you go, <laughs> there you go. A certain amount of humility is always, <laughs> always, always helpful, and, and I think healthy and honest. Frankly, when we're talking about religious and faith matters, and and doubt as well, and and not doubt from a disbelieving place, but doubt as in um, always, always questioning in order to go deeper. Uh, That's right. And never, never settling on a belief. Every time I get to a place of um, believing something without question, like, okay, this is it. Then I go, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the best place here. Um, it's okay to sometimes take a break from the digging, constantly digging deeper and asking deeper questions. But we all, we always, I think, got to get back to that place. Never, never settle, but keep going deeper keep going deeper absolutely absolutely when in doubt try to convert our fellow clergy to your way as well ah look at this guy waiting for you to come over waiting for you to come to our side (laughs) so a friend who's a professor at a local uh, reformed seminary here in town um, wrote something the other day about how the interiority that is the interior spiritual life of the puritans seems so anxious, so self-preoccupied and driven to perfecting union with God, whereas the contemplative path, which was often um, practiced by uh, people in the Catholic Church, the contemplative path of interiority assumes God is already in union 
and simply identifies obstacles to union. And it was an interesting reflection because I think many Protestants have this assumption, well, Protestants believe in grace and that is the, you know, that is the truer path, the better path. Catholics think you have to work and that's hard and that's anxiety causing and so forth. And he, he noted the irony that some of the contemplatives within the Catholic church had this sort of deeper mystical sense of connection with the divine that was always there and that was simply was. And so anyway, I found that as an interesting, um, interesting comparison. Well, to throw another religion into the mix, Buddhism, <clears throat> I, I believe it's the middle way. I, th I think it's both mm -hmm. hands. I don't think mm -hmm. it's either or. Uh, uh, you know, to to be on any path, you know, that requires that 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 seeks to know God better, or seeks to have a deeper understanding of God, it's it's going to take effort, and it's going to take effort to do that. It's going to take effort to um, to let those principles uh, be at play in all areas of your life at all times, because a lot of times you want to default just back to our normal human conditioning. So it, it takes effort, but at the same time, there has to be stillness, you know, there has to be quiet so you can hear that still small voice and, and you can really sense and experience the divine. So for me, for me, it's both. And the first part is more about practicing being the divine. And then the other one is more about uh, being still to listen, experience into it the divine. So I think it needs to be both. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point that any, well, simply the reality of existing as a human being contains a certain amount of anxiety. Life creates anxious moments. Uh, but I think, as you said, we need to seek out uh, a certain amount of stillness, a certain amount of calm, a certain amount of just being present and open. And for me, that that's, become uh, more and more my spiritual practice and my prayer life is trying to take intentional moments of silence, whether it's two minutes or 20 minutes or however long of just intentionally calming down, entering into uh, some silence, some prayer meditation and being present. And when I do that, there's definitely a, a deeper sense of connection, a deeper peace. And when I'm not doing that, I think I operate in a certain level, low or high level of anxiety that has me feeling more out of touch with God and with others. Are you, are you familiar with the bell of mindfulness practice? Probably, but say more. <laughs> That's a really good answer. So this, so this, this is a, a, a practice that comes out of the Buddhist tradition again at the monasteries, they would ring bells and then the monks would, would pause and take a moment of yeah. silence. when We're doing contemplation and um, you know, there, there are a lot of, there, there, there are a lot of apps that do that now on your smartphones, you know, yeah. randomly during the day, the bell goes off, but you can, you can use anything for it. You can use a traffic light, which is often, you know, the red light uh, when it comes to an intersection, um, as a moment to just to pause, breathe, center in reflection. Um, another really fun use of it is your telephone. When the telephone mm. get in the habit of using it as a centering moment first before you answer your calls. I think I think a lot of calls would go better. 
if that was the case. I might, no doubt. I might hang up on the telemarketers a lot less. <laughs> what about podcasts? If I do that, what about podcasts? <laughs> uh, and actually, so we do practice the bell of uh, mindfulness at uh, the Shalem Institute where I work and also I'm enrolled in a program. And I have a bell at home that I use. Um, and that there is something, there's sort of this calming effect when the bell is struck. Now I'm going to enter into a, a space of being present and of um, silence. But I really like what you're saying, that extrapolating beyond that yeah. to everyday objects uh, like a traffic light or a phone call. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and really the idea is also before is also um, the other way you can do or the other option or another option is um, use it as a mindfulness practice. When, when the bell goes off or the signal goes off, where, where were your thoughts? Like, yes. were you were you having a conscious centered thought, uh, a positive affirmant thought? Were you in a place of unconscious worry? Were you just daydreaming about nothing? And again, not judging any of them as right or wrong, good or bad, but just really um, to get you into the practice of mindfully observing your thoughts, because you know your thoughts in so many ways creates your reality as in because of the thoughts you're holding that determines how you see the world and how you interact with people and how you respond with your anxiety level. I always, I, I think we can get to the point where we eliminate anxiety from, from as a, as an emotional response. Um, and, and when things happen, we don't judge them. We don't give them meaning. We just observe them as, oh, look, that thing just happened. Now, how am I yep. going to respond rather than going to an anxious place? I think I do that like maybe a good, I don't know, 30% of the time on a good day. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think I've been trying to do the same, you know, having that simple awareness of this is what is. Right. And as you said, it's, it's. There it is. And, you know, I can judge it a certain way, but it's when I judge it and react that it takes hold of you. But when you're in that centered place, you have a certain amount of distance to just choose how to respond. Yep. All a, all a choice. But there is a whole lot of stuff subconsciously happening that we're always fighting against and dealing with. And sometimes, uh, yeah, it gets yeah. the better of us. It, it it is it is and that's that's the spiritual practice you know i always tell people it's not a it's not a spiritual performance it's a spiritual practice so it's it's a continual repetition of these intentions that we want to hold for ourselves and it does it can eventually become second nature to us um if if we practice it enough and but but the interesting thing you mentioned about all the stuff going on, I think, interestingly enough, because I love to play devil's advocate with myself, I think a lot of it is is also the hard wiring. I mean, like, the more I am with people, like, the more I am convinced that our hard wiring is, like, so profound. And, like, mm. they are, you know, either optimists or pessimists. There's the half full or half empty. There's the, like, there's, there's that default yep. wiring that, that we not necessarily have to overcome, but, but account for. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, studies show that the human uh, brain has a certain amount of plasticity. Uh, and so when we begin to incorporate habits and practices, it can actually alter uh, 
the way our brains work. And so the more you do those practices, the more that becomes begins to become your default response rather than maybe some natural or earlier learned responses. I think, but I think I think some I think some brains are like Plato plastic and some brains are like are like Lego blocks plastic because you're not molding those Lego blocks but they're plastic still <laughs> they're plastic but there's they're yeah I hear you there's more set in stone I'm just I'm just saying well, we're not we're not naming names just, just we're not saying. we're not naming names <laughs> no. saying, just saying so another interesting point my friend made was that perhaps this uh, Puritan ethos of an anxious or an anxiety filled religion taken hold in um, neo-Calvinism today, I would just say in the church today, he says, I can honestly say that I've seen many, many pastors in therapy over the years who've been driven to exhaustion, addiction, marital issues, etc., because they are never enough. They can't repent enough. They can't please enough. They can't gather enough. He says, maybe they're saved by grace, but they're driven by anxiety and shame. Oof. That's tough. It, it is, it is tough that, that, uh, that speaks to me of two issues. One, um, where's where's the self care? We got to be so mindful of our self care, especially any any person in a helping or educating profession, teachers, therapists themselves, and ministers. Boundaries and self care are so important. Like that's the primary thing you've got to keep in the forefront, because we always want to serve. We always want to serve. Yeah. And and that's what drives us, and that's a great thing. But we can't serve others until we serve ourselves. We can't help others until we help ourselves. We got to put on the oxygen mask on ourselves first uh, before we can reach out to another. So, um, I think that when the self care falls apart and the exhaustion sets in, that's when a lot of the self doubts arise, and that's because then we kind of start maybe messing up a little because we're just exhausted and can't think straight, yep. you know, and then we become disenchanted with our jobs because it stops being happy because we're exhausted because we haven't, and it's a vicious cycle because we haven't been. Exactly. Uh, in addition to self-care, we need communities where we can be, we can be actual human beings as clergy and um, not be, you know, always have to be perfect or always have to have it completely together or. That's why I do this show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or never <laughs> being given permission to do self-care, right? Because, well, that's selfish. And aren't you, you know, aren't you supposed right. to be like really spiritual and you can just keep going? Yeah. And on call all the time. Um, there's, there's, there's that. Yeah. There's, there's that thing. Um, and, and, let's not forget that as ministers, we, we, we need our own ministers. Like we need our own spiritual resources. You know, that's why yes. you know, sp spiritual direction is, is, is a really good thing for ministers. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, church, religion, theology, whatever, the love of that was what got us into ministry. But now mm -hmm. that we're ministers and we're on the other side of it, Let's not abandon our first love. Where where do we go to church? Where do we get our spiritual fodder from? You know, how are we inspired as ministers that other people look to to do the inspiring? You know, it's 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 a bit of it's a bit of pressure, but I think if we continue to do the things that we loved about this in the first place, we will continue to find join it and you know 
I, I kind of jested earlier about this is why I do the show, but this is why I do the show. Um, I can, I can bring more of a fun approach to this context of spirituality yeah. and theology that I, for some, you know, insane reason, um, I love and has brought me into my life so much so that I wanted to make it my living. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And if I'm not careful, it can over, it can overtake me, you know, so, that's right. So I got to have right. fun with it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of fun, I, I was thinking for sake of time, we maybe skip over number three because we've spent a fair amount of time in prior episodes talking about what can you say about God? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's skip that for tonight. And I wondered if we wanted to jump ahead to this pastor in Alabama. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this yokel. Seriously. And so he said, if you don't want to stand for the national anthem, this was at a high school football game on a recent Friday, maybe this past Friday. He said, if you don't want to stand for the national anthem, you can line up over there by the fence and let our military personnel take a few shots at you since they're taking shots for you. And he said this over the PA announcer as the PA announcer. So I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> I have another example that's more local to me that I could bring up just to, uh -huh. which is not unrelated. Um, uh, so wait, so just, just briefly, um, here, here's all, I mean, like I said, I don't know where to start with how, how horrible this is. First of all, why is, why is the pastor moonlighting as, uh, as a sports commentator, like I don't know, I do actually. I kind of envy him for that. <laughs> I'm like, just saying, is, just this, is, is this part of your joy and self care? If it is, go for and it. And Johnson <laughs> catches it at the fifty. He's going at the forty. You know, okay, but you're right. right Maybe it's it's his love of the sport. Uh, but second of all, you know, come on, man. These are kids. These are kids. You're at a high school game. These are kids you're talking to, and you're basically uh, no saying that. And and here's here's the thing: you're basically saying to them, "You deserved to be shot for practicing your fundamental right of free speech." It it it, it it's so weird how so often we lose sight of the values and the rights that we have as Americans when we practice them because they seem to speak out against the values and rights <laughs> that we have as Americans. Mm. But that's, that's one of them to be able to freely express ourselves without any, you know, political, without any criminal, you know, punishment. Of, of course, of course. And the irony is that, uh, many of the crowd who are upset about people sitting or kneeling uh, during the national anthem are the people who are so worried about political correctness. Right. They are, everybody's always so politically correct, and yet now they're the ones being politically correct about how you're supposed to act when the national anthem is being... You can protest, up. but not like this. <laughs> yeah, Right. Exactly. And if you're going to force everyone to be patriotic, is it actually patriotic? Right. E exactly. Have, have you just, have you just become, have you, have you just become like the countries that you condemn for <laughs> yes. not having the freedoms that we have? 
right? Exactly. Do you want us to all line up and yeah, look like become you know, the other? You, you've just kind of red China the from the you know fifty uh, years ago or something. Yeah. With, no. With a, right. Yeah. Exactly. But I think again, this is this is this is where we get confused between what I think truly patriotism is and um, nationalism and populism is. Um, Mm. And and I think the two words need to be sparsed out. Um, You know, so like in your question, you actually asked what fuels this kind of patriotic slash nationalist fervor. Um, And I think they're, they're, they're two different things. I mean, to be, to be a patriot, speaks of your love of country um to be a nationalist speaks to the the extremism within your country i think and 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 no matter what side you're on extremism never ends well <laughs> it it never ends no doubt. it never end, it never ends well so but but the things that i'm the thing that i'm really enlightened and hardened to see is um all the other athletes that are joining Colin Kaepernick in this movement. Um, I love the fact that he's, he's changed how he's protested by now taking a knee instead of sitting in the sidelines. Um, and I love that he is not just doing this now. He's, you know, put in his money towards, um, or at least he says he will, I'm not sure he's actually done it yet, but at least he says he's going to donate, um, money towards organizations that are helping raise awareness around this issue. Um, yep. So, so I commend him for not just being a flash in the pan, trying to get, um, you know, some kind of notoriety around this, but actually doing it. And others are taking notice. Um, there's another story about an entire, I think, also a foot uh, high school, might have been college football team. That when the national anthem was played, they all took a knee together. Mm, um, nice. As, as a symbol of this. So, so I think, yeah, I think it's really, it's really fascinating. There was a cartoon I posted where it was uh, uh, Trump standing before a crowd saying, you know, this country's broken and everyone is like, yeah. And then, you know, Kaepernick standing before the crowd saying this country's broken and they're like, boo, you know, like it, it's, it's a fascinating <laughs> exactly. double standard. Oh man. Yes. Completely. Should be completely obvious, but sadly is not. And as a pastor, I think I think you know far from me to judge because I really don't know this man, um, so it's really not fair of me to break him over the coals. But I, I it's it it seems like a very violent and uh, you know judgmental thing to come from a member of the clergy. And again, this is where yes. you know the re- you know the religion gets the the official religion of this nation, of which we have none. But let's you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's Christianity. This is when, right. this is when you know the 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 Christian the the politicalness around religion, Christianity in this country gets blurred and confused and misunderstood. You know. And I love how we always like to say this is a Christian nation and, you know, this is what the founding fathers wanted and no, they didn't want it. That's why they whole set up the whole uh, establishment. That's why they said we will not establish a religion for this, for this country. We will not do it because 
look at all the other countries that have an established official religion. Again, not ending well. Yep. Yep. True enough. True enough. So um, the local event which happened and is fueling some conversation around here was that there was a uh, football game on Friday, and it's the weekend before 9-11, and um, a, the predominantly white school was visiting uh, one of the more diverse schools in the area, and um, they were having, I think it was supposed to be sort of a patriotic theme night because of the 15th anniversary of 9-11, and there were some students who were holding a Donald Trump flag next to other students holding a Betsy Ross flag, so the U.S. flag with 13 stars. Wait, what does the Donald Trump flag look like? What is that? What do you mean? Well, it's it's a big flag that just says Trump, make America great again. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's like his campaign poster, but it okay. was a fla- it was a flag. It was like I thought, I thought maybe it was like you know his face goes oh, over the thirteen over over the stars or the stripes. Yeah. Like, wait, he's got a flag now? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good question. Good question. So they held these two things adjacent to each other, and many people responded with what are they doing? This seems to have some either um, subliminal or explicit racism uh, because the 13th, the flag, sorry, of the 13 colonies was at a time, of course, when racism was alive and well in America as Mm -hmm. it was in our founding. And uh, apparently there are some white supremacist groups who are using the symbol. So not just the Confederate flag, but this, flag and you put that together with the Trump flag and we know Trump supporters, some have been linked to supremacist, white supremacist groups together. And you think that wasn't an accident that they were doing that. But yet the the conversation here in more conservative West Michigan is, Oh, they didn't know what they were doing. These kids are just patriotic and look, they're just getting involved politically. Oh yeah. They knew exactly what they were doing. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. And thankfully the superintendent of the school that those students attend issued a long apology and some very good, uh, he had some very good words and I was grateful to see that. Now, of course, some reacted negatively that he apologized, but I think it was more than appropriate. You know, I think I, it's, I think folks who really like, so, so, you know, we got that flag you're saying with the, with the 13 stars, the Betsy Ross flag, but the th- original 13 colonies, you know, I, I, I think most of the people who are, are woefully unaware of, and this is me coming from another country, having read some of, you know, you know, the time of what was the history when the constitution was written, maybe some of the intention that those, uh, the, the, as we like to call them, the founding fathers uh, around this. Um, and, I think people would be surprised that it's not about what so many people say they were about now. I mean, you know, this place was founded, this country was founded on the idea that we don't subscribe to tyranny anymore, you know, and some folks may say, well, well, they had slaves and all that. Okay. Yeah. Not good. And, um, more 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 sign of the times than 
than anything else. And there were already folks at that time who were in conflict about it or who were, you know, the consciousness was like, this is, this is not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating how, how the narrative has been changed to say the founding fathers wanted like a conservative Christian uh, way of life. Like that's what America was founded on. And I want to say like, really pick up a history book, just pick one, anyone and really read (laughs) (laughs) yourselves. You know, I I think it's crazy. And back to that. And Oh, the other thing about that pastor and was it, was it, where was he in Alabama? In Alabama. Yeah. Can I just say, given all the rest of us clergy, a bad name, that's, I mean, you know, (laughs) he needs some self care. He needs something (laughs) to not be calling games anymore oh my goodness like, take that microphone away yeah i get you're upset and you are you're you you are again here is it's uh, you know i'm observing myself knocking him for exercising his right to free speech um you know yeah, I, right. I get you're upset i get you want to say something about it but you know you're you're a pastor be a little more mindful of the words that you're using be a little uh more respectful of the fact of the role you play as a role model in front of these kids. Um, and you basically sent the message that, you know, if you don't step in line as somebody thinks the line is that, yeah, you, you deserve to be shot. And I'm sure he would say he was really just being figurative, but you know, that's when people, but, but words matter, words matter, words matter. And that kind of figurative violence often leads to literal violence. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we are, I think, approaching uh, the end of our show here. Uh, any final words of wisdom tonight, good sir? <sighs> don't don't listen to the crazy pastors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, choose who you're listening to with care. Ser- ser- I'm, I I kind of say that in jest, but I'm 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 serious. I'm like I know I know the role. Uh, you know, well, I mean, when I look at the civil rights movement, you know, clergy played such an important part mm. in terms of of in of asking people to to step up to create a different experience of life, um, and 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 to be courageous and to be brave. So so we do play an important role when it comes to addressing uh, social justice issues and and really encouraging people to realize that. They're moral issues that affect everyone, um, not just the oppressed, but the oppressors are just as, as um, whether they believe it or not, on a different level, they, they are hurting themselves as well as the disenfranchised. So I get that the role that we play, but, but ultimately, if your minister, if your pastor, if his emphasis is not about, or her emphasis is not about um, um helping you discover a deeper understanding of your spirit, of your divine self, of God and that relationship. And they're just like shooting off in the mouth about, you know, so much, you know, political stuff and things. I mean, think twice, really think twice mm-hmm. uh, yeah. about it. Cause I think that's, that's, that should be our only function full stop. <laughs> yeah. And does, and does this at any level sound like what you could imagine Jesus saying who came 
teaching uh, the way of peace and turning the other cheek and love of enemies and except giving to those who moment, don't have. Except for that one moment with the, with the whips in the temple. That's not forget that. Hey, hey, hey look. A little bit. <laughs> that was a demonstration for justice, which <laughs> looked dramatic, but was ultimately... <sighs> That was like they won't they won't listen. I gotta get the whip. <laughs> time to break out the whip. Time to break out time to break out the whip. Wow. Well, on that note, uh, friends, thanks for tuning in. Please connect and spread the word on social media. And remember, if you want to win those free gift cards to craft your seller, then you can comment anytime on our Facebook page or on Twitter using hashtag PT Live. And you can, of course, listen to uh, our episodes anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. If you want to find some friends to have conversations like this with, uh, there's info at pubtheology.com. And again, thanks to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Visit craftbeerseller.com for a location near you. And maybe and next we week we'll have Tina. And maybe next week we'll have Tina, and we are out. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that's what it. Oh. Oh, what? She was feigning technical difficulties. Probably was. Oh, you're going to get her for that. You know what, though? I think I think this show's going to need some real editing, and I think I can probably go back to a few prior episodes and probably just pipe some Tina in, and it'll just be like she was here. <laughs> you got too much time on your hands. <laughs>